0: Welcome to Walking Lab's podcast series on walking research creation that aims to distil Walking Lab publications and content into audio form. In this podcast, you'll learn about walking and sensory inquiry. In podcast number seven, you are introduced to a type of sensory walk called sound walks or sonic walks. This podcast will examine other senses such as touch and smell and introduce you to concepts like synesthesia and hapticality. Walking Lab is co-directed by Stephanie Springay and Sarah E. Truman. You can find print publications related to these podcasts, including colourful graphic representations, at walkinglab.org. While not necessary, the podcasts are designed to be listened to while going for a walk. My name's Rebecca Conroy, artist and researcher, and I'll be your host today. Walking Lab organises international walking events, conducts research with diverse publics, including youth in schools, and collaborates with artists and scholars to realise site-specific walking research creation events. Walking Lab acknowledges the traditional and unceded territories on which our work takes place. Walking Lab is accountable to Dylan Robinson's insistence that land acknowledgements often operate from a politics of recognition and perpetuates settler colonial logics rather than disrupt them. As will be introduced through the podcast series, Walking Lab asks walkers to consider where they are coming from in relation to Indigenous peoples and territories where they live and work and to consider why a land acknowledgement is important to them. Walking methodologies invariably invoke sensory investigations. Sensory studies have prioritised the senses in research, including methods that foreground touch, smell and sound. This is in part informed by an appeal to explore the non-visual modes of experience. The non-visual senses – touch, taste, smell and sound – were historically viewed as subjective and intuitive, and as such rendered as illegitimate forms of knowing. Vision, which was equated with reason and objectivity, was prioritised as a preferred method for qualitative research. With the turn to phenomenology, post-structuralism and feminist theories of the body, which ruptured the mind-body dualism the proximal sensors became an important subject of study and increasingly valued as a method of investigation. Further, the advancement in portable digital technologies such as video cameras, smartphones and voice recorders and the shift to thinking about non-representational methodologies also contributed to the prevalence and possibility of doing sensory research. As the sensors became increasingly entangled within the social sciences and humanities, Many scholars noted their particular importance for qualitative research. Some of the most often cited include Paul Roddoway, who argues that everyday experience is multisensual, though one or more sense may be dominant in a given situation. Likewise, Paul Stoller suggests that sensory reflexivity be accounted for by researcher and participant. David Houser's work has significantly shaped the field, foregrounding a sensory approach to the study of culture and the sociality of sensation. Sarah Pink, whose name is almost synonymous with sensory ethnography, argues that sensory perception is integral to social and material interactions, including walking research. In the first section of the podcast, we focus on walks that isolate a particular sense. Crucial to our examinations of walking research is a focus on critical sensory studies that interrogate the ways that walking and the senses produce gendered, racialized and classed bodies. Thinking with Bark, a walking lab project initiated by Mindy Blaze and Catherine Ham, experiments with multisensory and multispecies ethnography with early childhood teachers and students. The Bark Studio is an outdoor classroom in Cookshank Park, Victoria, Australia that occupies the traditional lands of the Marin Bullock clan. Each week, teachers and students go for a walk in the park along Stony Creek and think with bark, specifically the varied eucalyptus species or gum trees as they are commonly referred to in Australia. Gum trees shed their bark as part of their yearly cycle to rid themselves of moss, lichen and parasites. The bark flakes off in interesting patterns and colourful masses of texture, Blaze and Ham's sensory ethnography attends to the tactility of multi-species inhabitation in order to counter the logic that tames, simplifies and controls young students' learning. They ask, what happens when bark becomes the focus? Their out-and-about walking and sensory research aims to open up possibilities for creating new ethical practices in light of human-induced changes in the environment. In contrast to conventional early childhood research that would ask questions about children's development, example, can they hold a pencil, can they pick up the bark, do they listen to instructions, can they decipher one sense from another, Thinking with Bark as a sensory inquiry explores the ways that children's tactile experiences shape lively stories about human and non-human intraactions. Kimberly Powell, one of the walking lab's lead researchers, also uses sensory ethnography with young children. In her project called Story Walks, Powell engaged a group of preschool children on a series of walks in San Jose, Japantown. On one walk, the students were introduced to Ken Mutsumoto's public sculpture. The children were invited to climb on and touch the stone and to create stone rubbings, In a subsequent walk, the students visited a memorial that they banged on with their hands, allowing the vibrations of sound to become a way of knowing sculpture, memory and place. Collaborating with artist PJ Hirabayashi and in cooperation with the Japanese American Museum of San Jose, Powell's Sensory Ethnography examines walking, the choreography or movement of place and migration. Another walking lab example that attends to the proximal senses is a smellscape walk. J. Douglas Porteous introduced the term smellscape to suggest how smells are place-related. The smell walk was carried out by students in Walking Lab's Stephanie Springay's graduate course on walking and sensory methodologies. Students walked and recorded smells using a variety of methods – including colour annotations, descriptive words and found objects to investigate the ways that place can be mapped using different sensory registers. While the focus on the proximal senses has disrupted oculocentrism, critical sensory studies argue that too often the senses are assumed to be neutral when in fact they produce racialized, gendered and classed understandings of bodies and places. For example, Fetid smells, particularly ones experienced in an urban city on hot days, are associated with infection and decay. These smells are then socioculturally read as sticking to some bodies. Kelvin Lowe maintains that the sociology of smell is a process of othering. By othering, Lowe means that in smelling and perceiving the other's odour, the other becomes distinct because they smell different or unfamiliar particular smells become attached to particular bodies not because that body emits a particular smell but because of the racial and class materializations between bodies places and smells in the euro-western taxonomy of the senses smell and touch have been traditionally relegated to the bottom of the hierarchy and as such associated with animality and primitivism Foul smells have historically been linked to incivility, filth, and poverty. The smell walks examine the ways in which place is produced and negotiated through the senses. Students investigate how sensory experiences regulate and dehumanise particular bodies. For example, overly powerful smells, whether from exhaust fumes in dense human areas, or the potency of ethnic foods, are typically associated with pollution. And evoke sensory experiences of repulsion and disgust. Jim Drobnik uses the term odophobia to describe the xenophobia associated with particular smells. Conversely, the lack of smell is often conceptualized as clean and sanitary. Some corporations brand particular scents that then become associated with class. For example, upscale hotels that diffuse a scent in their lobbies. This smell is considered palatable and pleasurable, and associated with Euro-Western understandings of class, cleanliness and leisure. The interest in the proximal senses in walking research is significant for the ways that it has unsettled oculocentrism. In addition, sensory inquiry emphasises the body and corporeal ways of knowing. However. Such sensory turns need to account for the social, cultural, racial, sexual, gendered and classed constructions of the senses. The senses are not neutral, but already exist as ethical and political demarcations of difference. In fact, as Pink suggests, the five-sense sensorium is a cultural concept used by Euro-Western subjects as a way of ordering their world. It is not a universal concept. Further, Sensory inquiry needs to take into account non-normative sensory experiences. Alison Kafer, writing about disability in relation to environmentalism, questions how chronic fatigue or deafness, as just two examples, transform sensory inquiry. Consequently, while isolating one sense can be a productive method in walking research... It simultaneously demands an accountability of the ways that difference is materialised through sensory inquiry. Synesthesia usually refers to a psychological or neurological condition in which sensory stimulus from one sense is mixed up with another sense. For example, this can include a taste being associated with a colour, such as seeing red and immediately tasting licorice. Finnish composer Jean Sibelius would hear F major when he saw his green fireplace. In walking research, synesthesia can be deployed intentionally to defamiliarize a sensory experience of place and as a non-representational practice. Synesthesia was used by walking lab's Sarah E. Truman, coupled with the walking practice of the Derive in her in-school research with secondary school students. These student-led walks are detailed in podcast number four. The Hamilton Perambulatory Unit, HPU, a frequent walking lab collaborator, created a synesthesia walk in the Hamilton Farmer's Market. In this walk, participants strolled through the Farmer's Market, taking stock of the various smells on offer, which they mapped using words from another sensory register. For example, the smell of lemon might be recorded as screeching metal. Synesthesia, as a literary device, uses words associated with one sense to describe another. For example, loud yellow, bitter cold. Rather than describing a scent by using descriptive words that are typically associated with a smell, the synesthetic walk forced participants to think about the scent using language more commonly affiliated with a different sense. For example, instead of describing a smell in the market as being oniony, the synesthetic description could be piercing sorrow. In the HPU walk, synesthesia was used to push language, to write as a way of becoming atmospheric. As opposed to a representative description of the world, synesthetic walks attend to that which is palpable and imminent. Hapticality relates to the sense of touch. In walking research, hapticality attends to tactile qualities such as pressure, weight, temperature and texture. The haptic is sometimes organised around kinesthetic experiences such as muscles, joints and tendons that give a sense of weight, stretching and angles as one walks. It can also be described as physical where you feel things on the surface of your skin. For example, walking scholar Hannah McPherson's 2009 work with visually impaired walkers and their sighted guides focuses on tactile knowledge through the feet rather than the hands. The bodily practice of walking, Deidre Hedden and Misha Myers maintain, can be demanding, severe and gruelling. In contrast to embodied narratives of walking that are stole the virtues of meditative drifting, writing about their walking library project, they reflect on the arduous nature of walking across different landscapes, carrying heavy packs and in the blistering sun. They emphasise the ways in which the corporality of knowledge is shaped through movement. There is no denying that sensory experiences, haptic feelings and affective intensities course through walking research. What matters is how we tune into sensation, synesthesia and hapticality. As Ahmed so cogently states, there is a politics to how we distribute our attention. From sensory walks with early childhood educators and students and artistic experiments that isolate an individual smell, walking is an important and significant mode by which the senses, the synesthetic and the haptic can be mapped, conditioned and materialised. Walking Lab's critical work in this area reminds us that we need to account for the ways that the senses stick to different bodies and spaces in different ways – For example, smell is not neutral. How smell flows, how they become attached to bodies or places, and the kinds of encounters such flows generate are important as part of sensory research. The kinds of surfaces or atmospheres that walking methodologies evoke can be captured or managed and therefore participate in power and control. The future of walking methodologies requires not only innovative techniques to experiment with and account for sensory and haptic understandings, but must also attune to the ethics and politics of the senses. Thank you for listening to Walking Lab's podcast series on walking research creation. You can find print publications and references on their website, walkinglab.org. Better yet, Subscribe to the RSS feed so you can be notified whenever a new podcast drops. Walking Lab is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada.